Welcome to PointCast, the podcast where we talk about the issues that matter most to our voters. Sasha Estelia Jones, is that how I pronounce your name? Am I close? Estrella. Estrella. But Sasha's with us today and she's going to tell us about the work that she does and why it matters to her and what she wants elected officials to do with her vote. So Sasha, welcome. I'm really glad you can be with me today. Uh, Now you're involved in social justice. Uh, But before we get into that type of work, I want to learn more about you and how you got into this line of work anyway. Sure. Uh, That would require us to go back a little. Uh, So I'm a born and raised Brooklynite. Very proud to be from Brooklyn. Uh, Love my city. Um, A little bit about um, my racial and ethnic background. Uh, my My dad is Trinidadian and Puerto Rican. My mom is Puerto Rican and Irish. So they're both mixed, but Personally, the way I see them is I see my dad as a Trinidadian Black man, and I see my mom as a Puerto Rican Latina woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so growing up in New York City in a very, like, mixed household, but also just with culture very mixed, like, it's just how New York rolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think I quite thought so much about race, ethnicity, but also my own privilege within that, because I mean, when I look at me, like, I navigate the world in a certain way, in a certain body that allows me to not have to think about those things uh, in certain ways that others can't. Uh, so a little bit of background about me. Uh, I went to college in Ohio, Ohio University. Uh, and there, let me make it quite clear. <laughs> if you weren't white, you knew. <laughs> you either were white or you weren't. <laughs> like, those are the options. Uh, and being that I went to school in a rural Appalachia, there were a good portion of people who had never met people outside of their race, didn't understand like that mixed race people were a thing. Like the only time they saw like black and brown folk were on TV. So that in itself was like, well, this is different. And uh, while I was there, I definitely faced prejudice and racism that I had up until that point in my life, I had faced microaggressions. People say things here or there, but, but not to that level where it was clearly people like me make you feel a type of way you know make you feel uncomfortable you have hatred against us and it was from there that i was like oh my god this country is not as far along as we might think as a whole you know there might be pockets where we are we're having certain conversations but as a whole there we are still facing racism um from that is when i got really heavily involved into social justice work i was incredibly involved uh during college, uh, following um, college, I had moved to uh, Senegal. I was living uh, in West Africa in Dakar, uh, and I was teaching uh, English in a public middle school and doing some cross-cultural programming work at the embassy there under the Fulbright program. And then after, I came back to New York. And originally, my plan was to get out again. I love that I'm from New York, but for me, New York isn't quite living. It's a lot of surviving. It's very busy and I for as loud and outspoken and uh, New York as I am I do like a little bit of a slower pace some chill vibes some open nature not eight million people stuffed in a little pocket but the way the universe and God had it fit I was supposed to stay here uh, so that <laughs> to community organizing here in New York uh, so it's interesting I didn't start actually in my home I started in my college years in Ohio 
and I've recently made the transition to doing uh, community organizing work uh, here in New York City. I was listening to you tell your story, but I didn't necessarily hear a particular triggering event. Was there a triggering event or was it more like a, uh, like a, a combination of experiences that kind of led you onto this path? Well, <laughs> one of the events that I always like, uh, <laughs> when I uh, moved in, actually, I started uh, a semester late. I had had brain surgery. So the first semester I didn't get to go to school. So I started a semester late and everyone had, you know, already like kind of made friends or all that. And I was like, oh, I always wanted to be the new girl, mm -hmm. but I never wanted to be the new girl in college. That's a whole different experience. Right. Uh, my parents had moved me in. Uh, my parents clearly look different. There, there is no mistake in they are two different races. They're two different things. Like it's clear. Okay. <laughs> like you ain't messing that one up. <laughs> and uh, they had helped me uh, moved in. They had went back to the hotel. I just wanted to, you know, get something settle just kind of feel it out like wow like I'm here we drove all this way in the middle of winter mind you that oh that's right um, winter semester yes yeah and uh someone had came in you know into my room I left the door open and I always thought you know the Midwest is like kind of the middle of nowhere place but I had this like idea that everyone was just like super friendly kind of what you think about like down south too so I was like oh my god look at this person coming in my room trying to chat it up with me hey like I'm very like hi how you doing <laughs> and they were very sweet and very sweet they're like hi they're like nice to meet you they're like so I just I have a question for you and I'm like yeah and they're like so you know I saw your dad I saw your mom they're like so what color are you? Wow. And I, I really was like, and I knew they weren't coming from a place of like, it wasn't when I had to turn the New York up on them and flip off because I will go there if I have to. This was literally someone who was puzzled because they didn't understand like, okay, this is your mom, this is your dad, but what are you? But the choice of the word color was so unusual for me I've never been asked what color am I before you know mm -hmm. and that was the first day I had moved in so that moment right there started off just a catalyst of just constant like oh my god like you know there was a mix of just downright ignorance like the person you know who I had spoke to although we live in the 21st century you can hop on google and do a google search before you ask me uh however <laughs> that but then there was also blatant I don't like black people. I don't like, you know, Hispanic people. All Latin people, you know, uh, came here illegally. You know, I had the KKK show up on my campus. I had wow. this girl that uh, probably every week uh, students come or groups come and like paint the mural over. We had this kids group who had done an African safari mural and a group of kids, you know, the same people who were all bobcats, we all bleed, you know, green is what we say, painted nooses, like stick figures, black stick figures with nooses around their neck from that wall. We had people like Milo come to my school and give a speech. Uh, and it was just this constant everyday reminder that we say we're all bobcats and we're supposed to have all this pride but I don't necessarily know if you even like people like me, but it's not even about liking people like me. It's about systematically targeting people like me and having to function in a space where I'm supposed to be a college student, you know, out there doing this, doing that, you know, living my dreams aside from getting all these papers done and all these extracurricular activities. But I'm also living with this reality that I can't escape that 
like white students can just only have this one experience, but I'm forced to confront this reality every day. And it, it weighs on you. It weighs on your core. It weighs on your spirit. It weighs on your mental and emotional well-being. Like this is not just all oh, my feelings. Like these create real like physical symptoms, physical illness. Uh, and you know, for me, other black and brown students, like we had to have each other because if no one else didn't have us, we needed to be our home away from home and make a community within a community that we were aware of, didn't always want us, understand us, and was not interested in doing either. Let's go back into social justice. So now that was the triggering on one of the triggering events. You, you, you shared a couple of things that probably would have set different people off in different ways. So definitely hear where you're coming from. But now you've got into this work of social justice and social justice can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What does it specifically mean to you? Great question. I'm like, hmm, what does social justice specifically mean uh, to me? Mm -hmm. um, for me, social justice is empowering the everyday person uh, with the knowledge and resources to implement the changes they want to see for the wider collective. You know, we have bills to pay. We have lives to live. Uh, people, all folks cannot dedicate their lives to this type of movement. What I will say, though, is I think we're all deserving of knowledge. That is one of my fundamental beliefs. Do with it what you please, but you are deserving of it. And particularly for uh, folks of color, um, so often knowledge has been either taken away from us mm -hmm. or has been concealed in a way that we actually don't know the truth about who we are, where we come from, but also right. our history within right. the larger history of America. Right. So for me, educate people about that, but then you're like, okay, here's how you can make real change, change you can feel, you know, not just, it's great to talk and have these dialogues, but also how do we show people these are the different avenues and you choose what works for you, but no, if you're looking to change something, these are certain tangible things, whether that, you know, is empowering people through voter registration. People may feel differently, you know, about if voting makes a difference and all that, but let me just say this, regardless of your personal opinions, it has real implications. That's like race, you know, technically race, you know, doesn't exist, but it is real in the sense that there's tangibles from it. So whether you think your vote counts or not, I'm like, what you do with it has real implications that are felt by everyone. So, you know, one mm -hmm. aspect, you know, is uh, encouraging people uh, to vote and getting people registered. I mean, if you look at the numbers of people who aren't registered to vote or don't even know how to vote or don't vote in the smaller local elections, like that is where it counts everybody. We pick a president every four years, great, but there's so much that goes on in between that time that people need to be knowledgeable about. Whether it's, you know, directing people to direct actions and taking up space and protesting on the streets, you know, that is an act for me, I think a revolutionary act of self-love to be able to occupy space in this way you know, and to make your demands clear. And sometimes you gotta get loud. You gotta, you gotta shake shit up, okay? You gotta shake shit up. Because let's be real, you know, we had tried for so long to do it within this way. Sometimes you gotta say, fuck that way. You are gonna hear me regardless. No justice, no peace. Because when I come peaceful, 
you're not coming with any real tangibles. Enough with the changing the names of streets. Enough with no more Aunt Jemima. All that stuff is great, but that's not where we started this from. We want real, tangible, systemic change in the way Black and brown folks are treated in this country. So, you know, it's a mix of protesting. Uh, and then, you know, there's also a mix of joy in what I do. I think so often part of this work and really why I had left this work for so long post-college is because the type of work I do can really just beat you down and take a lot out of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I graduated college, I was like, yo, I, I did all this, but I'm, I'm tired of doing this work. Like this work is taxing. It is daunting. Like I, I need a break from my own spirit. Mm-hmm. And coming back now at a place where I know how to take care of myself better, the way I prioritize my own mental and emotional well-being has developed so much that now when I come back into this space, for me, social justice work also looks like having, you know, works that celebrate art and joy within these communities. You know, a couple weeks ago, uh, we partnered um with an organization that focuses on Black and Brown artists and this idea of, you know, Black joy. And we did an art project out there in public. Yeah, we might not be voting, going to the polls. Yeah, we might not be processing on the street. But that act for me also is part of social justice and reclaiming Mm -hmm. our joy and having a space to just not want to focus on any of that. that. That needs to be part of the conversation too. Besides social justice and everything that it entails for you, what other issues stand out for you that might be getting lost in our current news cycle? Um, are you talking specifically in regards to, you know, politically, or are you just talking this? I'm specifically talking about politically because, um, we do have this major election coming up and people want their, everyone's trying to get their issues to surface to the top with the pandemic and with, uh, the killing of George Floyd and others and everything that's come out of that. There have been a lot of other political issues we were talking about before that we're no longer talking about, but some people may still think that these are important issues. For me, definitely education is one. Uh, The way that the conversation around education has just kind of fizzled out, that is for me as a voter, one of the biggest things, education reform. I think specifically, we need to understand the way school and school systems are funded in the U.S. Because that, for me, is at the is at the core of the issue. We fund so much. You know, schools are funded technically federal, state, and local. Federal maybe around ten percent, and we're looking a lot programs like Head Start or free or reduced lunch. So that's mm-hmm. not the 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 big chunk of it all, but a large, huge portion of it is locally, which is impacted by property taxes what that means is if you live in a lower income neighborhood which historically for many system systemic reasons that we don't even have that's a whole nother conversation uh, maybe black or brown or of low income rural white places uh your property value is less which means you pay less property taxes which means ultimately there's less dollars circulating within that school district and what that means is that children don't get to choose what families they're born into, what geographic uh, locations they live in, but they face the real consequence that they are not getting an equal education. And, you know, liberty, justice, the pursuit of happiness, 
for me, I think that education, education fits in within that. You know, mm-hmm. we talk and we pride ourselves so much about, you know, we have free education in America and all. Great. Right, but when right. we break down and look, is our education system equitable? And I don't believe that it is. And apart just from funding, also curriculum and textbooks are outdated. There needs to be a whole revamping of not just the way we fund schools, but what are we teaching these kids about history? And I, and I say that because I think it is quite related to, uh, let me be quite frank, you know, I read about Christopher Columbus, you know, all through my life. Oh, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, Christopher Columbus, he, wow, he did this, he just, this quote unquote, you know, discovered America. Although that never made sense to me even as a kid, because I was like, wait, you guys are telling us in the books there are people here, but he also discovered it, but I'll let y'all live with that. Um, and you don't know, you know, much, you don't really know much about this dude. Then I get older and I'm like, okay, so Christopher Columbus was a pedophile. Christopher Columbus was a rapist. Christopher Columbus was racist. Christopher Columbus had slaves. Christopher Columbus tortured black and indigenous people. I'm like, hold up, hold up. This, this is sounding like a horror story, not the one you told me all my life. And I think for so many black and brown folk in particular, as you get more educated, you realize all the lies you're taught in school. And to think that a group of people right. who feel lied to aren't gonna feel a type of way, you got another thing coming. Because to be a person of color in, a, in America and be raised in this education system is right. to realize all the people you said were heroes aren't my heroes. They're heroes of white supremacist colonialist agendas. And that doesn't sit right with me. So how do we use school to tell stories accurately? Our history is our history, period. What happened, happened. But when we do the justice of telling it factually, then that's where we can start to have important conversations and dialogues because you're not lying to kids and then forcing them to spend so much of their life unlearning the lies you've planted in the history books. And history is just one portion of the American education system which needs to be redone, but it's a portion I feel very passionately about because I Mm -hmm. I loved social studies Mm -hmm. in school. I loved that, I lived for that. And then I got older and was like, so you were lying to me this whole time? Nothing you told me is true? Mm -hmm. And that that hurts and that's dangerous. It's Mm -hmm. not feeling that is dangerous um to spread these lies as if they were truth now going back to your background a little bit you do have a very interesting background and coming into the work that you do that's very like you're deeply invested in that work it's it's very obvious uh what does your path look like going forward is there how does one go into other things after being involved <laughs> social you're not just gonna go and be like a manager at some office right i mean where, do, where does your path go from here no i've done that before and it's not for me <laughs> i think um that's a great question and i think it's a it's a question that i'm actually at the point of myself asking my life is how do i really see myself being of service in this movement and for me, definitely uh, one of my gifts that naturally has always been this way, but something that brings me immense joy is media. Uh, and so often I think 
Um, folks of color were always looking at who's already doing it and feeling like there is not enough room for us to do it, this mentality of scarcity. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm past the point of, I don't need to sit at your table. I want to make new tables. Uh, and I think my generation is all like, well, we're going to do it. It doesn't matter if there's a thousand people other doing it. They're not me. They're not doing it in my way. Mm -hmm. So for me, where I see myself pivoting is definitely uh, within media. I think specific, specifically for women, there needs to be more women of color within the media realm telling these stories of our own people. So often it's other people telling stories of us, but who better to tell stories of us than us? Uh, so definitely um, pivoting that way. You know, in college, I did radio for three years, the baby joy of mine. And now uh, I'm looking at my own ventures uh, to go back in um, to media because I think doing this type of work and being on the ground, you know, I was just in Louisville um, last week and you see it on the news, but the news only shows you but a portion. So what does it mean for activists to gather together to tell our own stories? And I think it will do it justice and provide a certain perspective that the mass media just can't because they're not doing this work and they're also maybe some biases that they're working within when they're telling these stories. I have one last question for you. Who are you voting for for president this fall and why? That decision is not yet made. I know, shock. <laughs> uh, not Trump. However, I will say third party options are open to me. People have a lot of different feelings about folks that vote third party. I hear you, I understand you. Okay. My thing is, though, uh, the Democratic Party has gotten way too comfortable on just believing because we are people of color, we have to vote for you. In the words of Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? There needs to be more than you telling me of, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. You do not need to wait till you're in the office to make these moves. OK. And also, Joe Biden, you have some track records you need to you need to break down. You've done some things, you've voted on some policies that have not been beneficial for black and brown folk. And I'm not letting you off the hook that easy on that one, you know? Uh, so there, there needs to be more. I'm not saying Joe Biden is, is off limits, but I'm saying, Joe Biden, if you're listening, you haven't won this vote yet. You need to show me more tangibles. Stop with the theorizing. No, 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 no. I wanna see, I wanna feel. And you need to start doing that now. You know, you, yes, you're running for president, but you are still a political figure and have power in that way. How are you using it? And that's that on that. And we have a couple more months. My opinion uh, can be swayed. I will be uh, out there voting and voting proudly come November, but Democrats, you, you got to do something more. This, this isn't enough. This is, like I said, you, you named the street Black Lives Matter Road. Okay, cool. What that got to do with me? <laughs> All right. The problem still exists. You didn't, you know, end racism by renaming a street by taking Aunt Jemima off the aisle. Uh, and, that, and that's what I want to see. And that's what I'm calling for in these last couple of crucial countdown months. I need more. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing. We're going to have to leave it there. 
Sasha, thank you again for being our, our guest, sharing your, your voice to these very, very important issues. I like to invite people who like Sasha have the same opinions to hit us up on our Facebook page and check out our website at coincast.news. If you have different opinions, please feel free to also reach out to us and share your views as well. Coincast strives to set a table for all American voices to be heard. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Eliag Productions, for helping to make this podcast possible. Thank you again, Sasha, for being our guest today. And thank you to all of our listeners who make all of this worthwhile. Peace to all.